morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? So glad you've chosen to worship God with us. I want to echo what Ashley said earlier, that if you are not currently a partner, we call our members here partners because we believe we're partnering in the gospel to establish God's kingdom on earth. And so if you're not currently a partner, we'd really love for you to come next uh, Sunday uh, and, and join us for that Rockbridge 101. And then we're going to invite you to our new partner class, which is a disciple's path, which will hopefully kick you off into a life group. I don't not actually want to kick you off. I said that funny. Uh, like send you off into a life group. <laughs> it's good. Uh, we don't want to kick you anywhere. But, um, but then you will go and be in a life group because if you really want to be a part of something, you want to be a part of a church, you need to be in the life of the church. That means you need to be in a life group and you need to serve in some way and you need to come to worship. If you do those three things, you will feel like family. But if you allow yourself to, to not have one of those three important legs of the stool, eventually you're gonna feel disconnected. So I highly encourage you to come to Rockbridge 101, take the new partner class and really dive in and get connected because that's when you're gonna feel the greatest growth in your life. So we're continuing our sermon series on sharing the love. Uh, last week I, I said that Jesus in, in the book of John tells us, as the Father sends me, so I send you. This is an imperative. This is a command by Jesus. As he was sent with the Father, so Jesus sends us in the world to share the good news of who Jesus is. It's not optional. We have to do it. Now, we all can recognize that in many ways, the church have done this in very unhealthy ways, right? Whether, like we talked about last week, flasher evangelism. Uh, you remember the Flashers where people would wear trench coats and they would flash people. When we go up to a stranger and all of a sudden just start talking about Jesus, which is an intimate thing, it's like flashing people. We need to do it through relationships, through deep relationships with people. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what it's, what it, that we're called to make a friend, be a friend, and then bring a friend to Jesus. So I have a video. I think this is going to help kind of center us on doing things in the correct order. So check out this video. Maybe. No video? Oh, we don't have a video. All right. Just kidding. All right. We'll play a little game then. I want you guys, it was a fun video, but it's all right. I want you guys to tell me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What's the first thing you need to do? Purchase the ingredients. See, we have teachers. Teachers are going to cheat. They know this. All right. So we got to purchase the ingredients. Then what? Defrost the bread. Defrost the, do you put your bread in the freezer? That's weird, but okay. <laughs> then what do we do? Wash our hands. Wash it. Should we have done that before we defrosted the bread, though? Yeah. Okay. What's next? <laughs> you guys are weird. There you go. So we defrost the jelly and the bread, apparently. What else? What's that? <laughs> go back to the store. Okay. Then what? A knife and plate, all right. Get a spoon. Get a spoon, a spoon for the jelly, I guess, right? Then, and the peanut butter. Got to get the peanut butter out, yep. We're just going to have jelly sandwiches there for a second. <laughs> I think you know what I'm getting at. You have to do, oh, go ahead, Randy. Prepare the ground, which is the plate. Oh, okay, we got to go and grow our peanuts and make our own peanut butter. Oh, Randy. <laughs> There's a reason we're sending you to Acton in a few months. All right. But we have to do things in the proper order. 
And sharing our faith is the same thing. There is an order. And I think I had an image, um, if you'll show the image, that there is a proper order when it comes to sharing our faith. We need to plant the seeds, right? Then we need to water them and allow them to grow. And only then can they be harvested. The problem is so much when we, so, many, so often we want to share our faith, right? We want to jump to the harvesting. But the person that we're talking to may not be at that place where they're ready to be told about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ. And if they're in the planting stage and here you are trying to share the good news with them, there's going to be a huge disconnect. So what we are called to do is to build relationships with people, build relationships with the people in our lives that God has already put there. I think that we all can admit, if we're here this morning, as I talked about last week, that God has an incredible gift to offer us, abundant life and life eternal. And that is something we want to share. And Rockbridge is something wonderful. It's a family. One thing that I love about Rockbridge is we always leave room at the table for one more, right? It's a family that's open to new people, and we want to welcome people in. We want more people to be a part of the family because there is no scarcity here. When we talk about what God provides, there is no scarcity. There is abundance. God operates in abundance. And the more we invite and the more that we share, the more that we have and the more we have to give. And that's what we're called to do. So if we believe that what we have is a gift— and we believe that it needs to be shared, then we have to be sent. Have to be sent. It is an imperative, it is a command to go out and share God's sacrificial love with the people that we meet in our life. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 8. This is what it says. As we think about what it means to make friends, to, to be neighbors, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. For whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. So this is a really powerful scripture here uh, that we are called to love our neighbors. So before we get to the point of wanting to invite people into relationship with Jesus, we have to love our neighbor. We have to share the love. We have to actually be neighborly. Now we're taught in the Good Samaritan that we talked to a little bit ago that everyone is our neighbor, right? That there is no person that God has said, love all these people, but this other person over here don't love. It doesn't matter who they are, where they are, what they look like, what country they're from, everyone is our neighbor. But we're specifically talking about the people that you encounter in your life, the people that God has placed in your life, whether at work or at school or through relationships. These are the people God has called you to minister to. These are the people that God, these circles of influence that you have, these are the ones that God wants you to love. Now, I think part of the confusion here is that in English, we only have one word for love, and yet there's many different kinds of love, right? I love... Michelle, that's a very different kind of love than I love popcorn. And yet we use the same word. Romantic love is one thing. What's great, in Greek, there's a different word for romantic love, eros. It talks about the love that we have romantically for another person. And so we know that when we use that word eros, we're talking about romantic love. We might also say, I love my brother and sister. That is a different love that we have than our love of spouse or someone that we're we're dating, and it's a different love than we have for popcorn, except for some of you who really love popcorn, I guess. 
So we have one word that means many different things, and it gets confusing when we say we love something. We've gotten to throw that word around. I love movies. I love this. I love golf. I love sports. I love sewing, whatever it might be. We use love in many different ways. So when we're talking about here, we're actually talking about a completely different definition of, word, of love. And there's an interesting word used in the Greek called agape. And agape is a unique and specific and distinct kind of word. I think I have a slide on agape love. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Another time Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. When we talk about agape love, we're talking about sacrificial love. We're talking about putting other people first as Jesus did. Today is Memorial Weekend. Soldiers, sailors, airmen, we celebrate this weekend because they laid down their life for others. Memorial Day weekend isn't simply to celebrate veterans again. It's, it's to celebrate people who lost their lives in service to their country. That's an, a form of agape love. And what Jesus tells us and what Paul tells us in scriptures is that we are called to have agape love for our neighbors. So let me ask you a question. Would you sacrifice your, li- your, your life for your neighbor? Would you sacrifice your life for the person who lives next door? Would you sacrifice your life for a coworker? Would you sacrifice your life for a stranger on the street? Would you sacrifice your life for an enemy who wants to do you harm? Because this is what the scriptures teach us. We are called to have sacrificial love for those who are around us. This is one of the reasons that the church is so special and so distinct and unique in the world. One of the reasons the church has grown throughout the history is because of agape love. From the very beginning, we read in Acts that the church sold property to take care of the needs of people around them. Do you realize how different that is? That seems sort of familiar in our world. It was completely unheard of in Jesus' day. The idea that you would sacrifice so that other people had what they needed. Why did the church go from a few hundred to a few thousand to millions? Because the church was willing to sacrifice for others. Think how many hospitals that, that, that you see that have something like Methodist or Presbyterian or founded by the Catholic Church. Seton Hospital, right? Dell Children's. Seton has an incredible mission, and that is to provide medical care for the poor. They provide it for the rest of us so that they can fund their mission to provide medical care for the poor. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? How God has called the church to take care of those who are around us, to sacrifice some of the things that we want, that we desire in this world, to make sure those around us have what they need. The church has done charity long before anyone else. And that's what we're called to do. Sacrifice things in our life to give things away so that others can have need. And then one of the, the next remarkable thing about the church is that we provide community in a way that no one else does. We invite people into community and we say, we love you. We're going to take care of your needs. We're going to have mutual support for one another. And we love you so you can grow in your faith. This is the foundation of agape love. This is a foundation of what we talk about when we talk about love. Some people think love is weak. But it's because we mean all those other things when we talk about love. There is nothing stronger, there is nothing greater than the sacrificial love that God calls us to. This is the love that God has for the church. This is the love that Jesus had for the church. And this is the love that we're called to have for one another. 
when we talk about being in relationship to making friends, are you willing to sacrifice so that your neighbor has what they need? Another great example is Sunday school. We think of Sunday school as that thing that you go to before church, right? If you grew up in a Sunday school tradition. Did you know that the original Sunday school was for poor kids and orphans who couldn't have access to education and so they would come to church and that's where they were educated? The church is always taking care of the needs of the people. And that's the reason that people want to be a part of it. We have to get back to taking care of the needs of those around us. That's why missions, you heard Kristen come up and share about missions. Our missions committee has a dual focus. It's to take care of people's physical needs, that greatest commandment, the second part of it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But it also has the desire to take care of their spiritual needs, the Great Commission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's both. We want to take care of people's physical and spiritual needs because we're looking for a holistic way of healing people physically and spiritually, being there when people are grieving and mourning. If we do those things, then it's going to be so easy to share our faith, don't you think? If you have been there when someone is sick, if you have been there and taken care of their needs, if you have provided meals when they're in the hospital, and then you show up and say, hey, by the way, come to church with me. Let me tell you about this Jesus guy. They're going to be way more open to it than if you just show up and say, hey, have you ever heard of this Jesus? We need to love and love sacrificially. So what do we not do? There's two things I don't want you to do when it comes to sharing your faith. The first is nothing. Do not do nothing. Don't do nothing. Yeah, that's what I mean to say. We are called to do something. We never have an excuse to inaction. Each and every person, each and every one of us are called to share our faith. And the second thing that I don't want you to do is to force your faith on people who are not ready for it. Young in my ministry career, I was sent to something called evangelism explosion. I don't know if any of you heard of it. But it's based on the idea of asking two questions. And this is very invasive. And I've done it before, and it's very difficult and very painful. The first question is you ask people, if you were to die today, do you know where you would be? And most people are going to say heaven. And it's a trick question, right? Because you're trying to trick them to get to the answer that you want. And the second question that you would ask is, why would God let you into heaven? And of course, they're trying to get you, trying to get people to say, oh, because I'm a good person, I get to go to heaven. And you're like, no, only through Jesus. And then you kind of take them this whole other direction, which is a great technique. It's a great way to, to, to share your faith. But they really encourage you to do it with strangers, to people who don't know you. And I don't think that's an effective way to share your faith. I can't think of a single person in my life who has come to faith because some random person came up to them and tried to share their faith with them. How much more effective can we be if we're open to the spirit of sharing our faith with the people in our lives? I guarantee you have people who live on your street who don't know Jesus. I guarantee you have people at your work who don't know Jesus. I guarantee you have people in your schools. And if you truly try to build a relationship, you try to make friends, you try to develop a relationship with these people, you will have an opportunity to share your faith. So how do we do this? I think it's really interesting that in the scripture it talks about keeping the law. It says, don't go into debt into anyone. So don't uh, borrow your neighbor's mower and not return it, right? Don't borrow money. Don't owe someone, someone something because then you're going to not be able to share your faith with them. Follow the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't desire what other people have and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. Think about that. 
Don't commit adultery. What that's saying is don't ruin people's lives by breaking up marriages, your own or others. That it creates hell on earth. How can you share your faith with people if you're doing these awful things? Don't steal, because that breaks relationship. And that's all kind of stealing, not just the overt, I'm going to go to the grocery store and hold it up and steal money, right? There's a lot of ways we can steal that maybe aren't as overt. Downloading music or downloading movies or sneaking into movie theaters. I used to uh, do that when I was a kid, right? We'd always try to sneak into the movie theater and not have to pay. Anything that we don't pay what is asked for, that's stealing. And it hurts our witness. It hurts our opportunity to share our faith. And don't desire what others have. Don't covet. Because if we desire what our neighbor have, we don't want to love them, right? If we, have, if we only have envy, we don't want to love them for who they are. So we're called to love our neighbors, to not create havoc, to not create hell on earth. But then there's the positive side of it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. What if we were people in our neighborhoods that were always inviting people over for dinner? Michelle knows that if we have a traveling salesperson come by our house at dinner time, I'm going to invite them to sit down and eat dinner with us. And then we end up buying it. I don't know. It's something about, I'm terrible. Don't, if you want to sell something, come to my house because I'm, I'm a sucker. But I always invite them over for dinner because that's an opportunity to love people. So what if you invited the people in your neighborhood for dinner? What if you threw street parties and invite your neighborhood to get to know each other? Would that make the world a better place? Would that make people interested in your faith? If there's someone sick, if there's someone needy, if there's someone hurting, who are those people in your life? How can you serve them? How can you sacrifice some of what you have so that they have what they need? That could be a lack of community. And so you're going to go over to their house. We have a whole generation of elderly folk, right, who no one visits. Maybe what we need to do is give some of our time to those who are in nursing homes and go and visit them. I don't know what... God is calling you to do specifically, but think how you can serve your neighbors in your community. We all, and the last thing that I, that I want to encourage you is we need to treat the stranger as if they were family. We need to treat people that we don't know as if we were family. The ultimate sin, the, the great sin in our life is to self-focus. It's pride. It's to think that we are better than other people, right? That we are better than people who are not part of our family, that somehow we owe more to our, our wife and children and brothers and sisters than we do people outside of our family. And then we kind of stretch it a little bit. We know we owe more to our neighbors, and then we owe more to our city, and we owe more to our state, and we owe more to our nation. We owe more people to, to people who look like us. What Jesus teaches is that we are all one family. That God's desire is for all of humanity to be one family. And that for you to love the stranger the same way that you love your children. The same way that you love your brother and your sister. This is a hard teaching. This is not easy. But we are called to love people as Christ loves the church. With deep and sacrificial love. And when we do this, we will see the church grow. We will see people being invitational. We will see people coming to Christ because you love them. Because ultimately, if you love people, they're going to give their life to Christ. In our campus ministry, we had this girl named Rachel, and she was amazing. Now, funny story about Rachel, she started going to the Baptist student ministry, which was actually across the street, because she couldn't find the Wesley. 
um, until one day she asked one of her fellow students that she was friends with, like, hey, where's that Wesley Foundation? And they're like, it's across the street. So she wasn't the most, like, you know, one of these people who paid attention to everything, but she was an amazing young woman. And she was the kind of person that other people wanted to be around. And every single person who was in Rachel's life, you got touched. And you, your life was better for knowing her. I think the, the ministry continued to grow and grow and grow because she was so loving and so wonderful. Every single person in her life got an invitation. Every single person felt loved. Every single person felt important. That's what we're called to do. Who are the people in your life that the Spirit is telling you to love, to love sacrificially, to serve, to make a difference? Because that's what we're called to do. You know, we have to do everything in the right season. We have to plant, we have to water, we have to let it grow, and then we have to harvest. And sometimes if we are trying to do your, practice in your face evangelism of going up to strangers and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Maybe they're not ready for that. Maybe they need to be planted. Maybe they need water. Maybe they need time to grow. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. What you may do in someone's life, you may not see the results. You may not see them become where they're ready to give their life to Christ. But we have to do our part. So we're called to make a friend, be a friend, and then, in the right time, bring a friend to Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.